Hi, this is Arielle Jack, Student Ministries Director here at New Life Church. Thank you for joining our podcast today. I pray the following presentation encourages, challenges, and inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy the message. All right, so uh, obviously uh, I got a phone call early in the week uh, that I would, uh, if I could help Pastor Dave and fill in and just be able to share the word with you this morning. And so, um, like I said, it's not my, uh, it wasn't the best week. I was like, wow, to preach on this Sunday is not the easiest. But um, how I normally prepare is not, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up in this church. I was saved when I was like five years old. And uh, I always used to like look at all the pastors, you know, Pastor Bradley and now Pastor Dave, like how do they prepare their messages? Like, like, do they just spend hours in their office or wherever praying, and then God just, like, this lightning comes from heaven or something and says, this is what you're supposed to speak? You know, that kind of a thing, which I, I think that maybe not with the lightning, but sometimes that happens like that, and there's a certain word for a certain time. But then other times, um, and this is one of those times where God was like, well, what, am I, what have I been teaching you? And I want you to share that with others. And so... You're going to, uh, part of this is, uh, I've been reading a book uh, by Timothy Keller on prayer. Um, if you find that book, it's a really good book. It's a little, inter- inter- little bit too, like, Bible schooly, intellectual in the beginning, but then it does get better as you get, a- get into it. Um, but he talks about prayer is an avenue for an encounter with God. And so this morning, um, I want to talk to you about that distance between your brain and your heart, trying to bring our faith from just something that we know to something that we can experience. And so funny thing was I Googled how far is it from your, from your brain to your heart, right? The first thing that comes up um, on, when I Googled that, it said 5,802.9 miles. <laughs> and I'm like, and when I told my wife that, I, she said that she had the same, she's like, you know, is it one of those things where, like, your nerves, you know, and it, it has, you know how your intestines are, like, super long, but yet, um, and I was, like, trying to figure it out, and then I continued to read, because I'm, like, 5,802, it's not what I'm thinking. Um, I learned that there's a town called Heart in the United States, and there's a town called Brain, and the town of Brain is in France. And so, as, you know, a crow would fly, it's 5,802.9 miles. Um, but that has nothing to do with what we're going to teach on today, but you learn something new, right? And so, what I was really looking for was, from our brains to our hearts, to bring, because I think many of us, we struggle throughout our lives trying to make a genuine connection between what we profess to believe in our heads and what we actually believe in our hearts, And I think that's, as I mentioned, I was saved in this church when I was five years old. I remember going to service after service. I mean, when I was in youth, we would go to these youth conventions, and I heard some of the the most amazing preachers. And and I would get saved a million times. You know, I'd be like always going to the altar, always getting, you know, always like, God, forgive me my sins. I'm I'm going to go to hell if I don't and all that. And, and so I would go through that process over and over and over again. 
I remember one time I went to, uh, it was a youth convention, Dave Reaver, the evangelist Dave Reaver uh, was preaching, and, and I just felt like I need to get saved. And so I went down to the, you know, to the front. They called everybody up to the front, and then they split us all off, and we had to go to meet with all of these counselors that would pray with us and, and lead us to the Lord. And uh, the poor guy that they lined me up with, I knew more of the Bible than he did. And uh, he was like, well, what are you doing here? I said, I don't know. It's just the Holy Spirit is speaking and saying, you need to fix something. I said, I can recite more verses than you. Yes, because I grew up in a Christian school. I like, that's what I did. That's, we memorized stuff all the time. And, uh, but it was trying to get it from my head to my heart to make it real. And... Uh, so that's what we want to, David wrote in the Psalm, in Psalm 34, verse 8, he said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He didn't say, know that the Lord is good. What, ver what verbs did he use? He said, taste, right, and see. So I know this is COVID, and um, I, I, I want to be very careful. So I, I got some brand new honey, right, and I got an unopened box of spoons, but how many of you know honey is sweet? You all know that, right? When was the last time you took a spoonful of honey? Has it been a little while? Anybody have any interest in tasting and seeing how sweet honey really is? So we know that honey is sweet, but when we taste it, it brings that to a whole nother level, doesn't it? Because, wow, a spoonful of honey... It will make any medicine go down, right? Is that what they say? A spoonful of honey, or maybe sugar. But, um, so we really understand when we taste it. And I think that's where the psalmist David was trying to go. He wanted us to understand, to experience the goodness of God. Not just know that he is good, but to really know that he is good. You understand what I'm saying? We know that honey's good. We know that it's sweet. But when we taste it again, then we really, really, like, yeah, it's when you say, I, I forgot that it was that sweet, or, man, I didn't know it was that sweet, kind of a thing. And so that's where we want to, um, Alberta was, uh, she, she Googled the heart to the brain to help me out here. That's sort really of like 12 to 14 inches, maybe if you're a little taller, it might be 18 um, so it's not really 5,802.9 miles. Um, but we're trying to bring our faith from our minds and what we profess to believe with our minds, but bring that to know what we actually believe with our heart. Because when it comes down into our heart, that's when it takes effect on our entire life. When I was, when we're in Africa teaching Kids, most of the kids that we've taught in, in the last few years are not church kids. Most of them would come from Islamic homes. And uh, we would teach them Bible character traits, like, you know, to respect your parents, obey your parents, uh, help your, you know, help your friends or help your mom in the kitchen. We'd have all these little character traits, be honest and, and that type of thing. And I, every time I would teach those, Things they're great to they're great things to teach our kids. Don't get me wrong, but unless they have a change of heart, it's going to be very difficult to follow through with the things that we are teaching them. 
right? Unless we understand the sin that we are in and how Christ forgave us, when we capture that and experience that and really understand that, then it's a lot easier to forgive those around us, right? Like if you have trouble forgiving somebody, you haven't yet experienced the forgiveness that God offers to you. Because if you really know what God forgave you from, this little, these little things that happen on earth, somebody offends me, those things are like nothing compared to what Christ forgave us. There are verses in the Bible that literally scare me that says, if you don't forgive your brother, then Christ didn't forgive you. And like you read that and you're like, am I going to heaven? Now there's grace, thankfully. There's grace, right? But when we understand what God has done for us, it changes the way that we live. It changes everything about us. And so I want you to experience that this morning. In Ephesians chapter 3, um, Paul reads a prayer. I'm going to read it from my phone because uh, I, like, I wanted to read this certain version that my, my Bible, this Bible here is the English Standard Version, which I use for a lot of studying. But I wanted to read the prayer that he, um, in the New Living Translation. And so I have the world's smallest smartphone, so bear with me. Uh, it says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of heaven, or the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, think about that, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. That was Paul's prayer. It's interesting that when you look at, this is a letter to the Ephesians, to the church in Ephesus. Paul is praying this prayer for other believers. Like sometimes you're just like, well, he's, he's asking that, that Christ would make his home in their hearts. Well, if they're Christians... Christ already did make his home in their hearts, right? I mean, that's doctrine that we believe. And all these, that you understand the love that God has for you. And, well, if you're a believer, you should understand that to some extent, right? And so, but he's praying this prayer. And Ephesians is kind of separated. When you look at the whole letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes in most of the first three chapters He's telling them about who they are in Christ, their new life in Christ, that they've been saved by grace. And he, um, I wrote a, several of the verses down. I won't read verses, but I'll kind of give you phrases of what Paul is telling the Ephesians here in the first couple of chapters. He says, um, he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. 
He chose us in him before the creation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. In him, we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. God, being rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace, we have been saved through faith. We are his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. But now in Christ Jesus, we were once far away, who were once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For through him, we have access to the Father by one spirit. We are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. In him, we are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. These are just a couple of the verses uh, and phrases that Paul is telling the church in Ephesus. So we know that he's talking to believers. He's telling them, you are adopted as sons and daughters of God. You are adopted into God's family. God is your father. You've been forgiven. You've all these things. And yet he prays this prayer and his, he's asking for things that should be already in their life, in their life. And so uh, then if you look at the, the next half, chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul is addressing more of how their life should change as a result of now their faith. And so they've accepted, God has adopted them into his family. They're saved by grace. They've been forgiven of their sins. And then in those next chapters 4, 5, and 6, he goes on to show them how their life should be changed. He talks about how the gospel should unify us as believers. He talks about how we should grow and mature in our faith. He talks about how we each have a part to play in the body of Christ, that as we each do our part, we build each other up in love. He instructs us to forgive one another just as Christ has forgiven us. He talks about how husbands should treat their wives and how wives should treat their husbands. He talks about how children should honor and obey their parents and how parents should bring up their children in the training and instruction of the Lord. He gives instructions to put on the full armor of God in order to stand against the devil. He tells us to pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. These are just a couple of the things. I just pulled out a few. Um, but he's showing um, the doctrine side that you are saved, you are a new person in Christ, and now this is what should be the result of it. And so when he begins his prayer, uh, I believe the prayer is the transition because he, Paul understands that it's not just a simple thing. And so in verse 14 of chapter 3, when he begins his prayer, he says, so imagine he's, he has just told them all of these things that they are now in Christ. And he says in verse 14, when I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father. So in light of who God is now to you, now you still need to experience it. You still need to know it so that it changes your life. And so... Uh, that's where we want to, I want to spend a, a few moments in Paul's prayer today. Of, there's three main petitions that Paul asks, and then I looked at like all different versions. My phone has like a million versions of the Bible. Uh, whenever I preach, I, I look at all sorts of translations, and I also study in Portuguese and English, because sometimes the Portuguese Bible and the translation, um, 
says it better than the English one, and I, I enjoy it. But I'll keep it in English for you today, okay? Um, do we have any Portuguese speakers? I saw one hand, right? It's so... Uh, it's fun to know, if you could get a chance to learn a new language, go for it. Because wow, you learn a lot of stuff. I learned how to speak English after I learned Portuguese. Uh, because wow, do we mess up our grammar. Americans speak, like when we write and we leave prepositions at the end of a sentence, that's like not appropriate, right? So Adrian's telling me to stick to my notes. And uh, she knows I didn't write that down. Um, but I look at it, and I tried to phrase, find these three petitions from Paul's prayer and try to, uh, because in, you know, different translations of the Bible, they leave commas here and periods there and the verses over here and that. And so sometimes it's confusing. And so um, I pulled up these three petitions that Paul was praying in this prayer, that they would be empowered with inner strength through the Holy Spirit so that Christ will make his home in their hearts as they trust him. That's the first one. The second one was that they would have power to understand how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. And the third one was that they would experience the love of Christ, that they will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So those are the three main petitions. And I find it interesting that Paul did not write in these places that we could do it on our own. The emphasis here is on the Holy Spirit. And uh, we'll get into some other verses. But the first one is that they would be empowered with inner strength at the, through the Holy Spirit so that Christ will make his home in their hearts as they trust him. And so the whole verse, uh, then at the end of that, that verse, it says, your roots will grow down into God's love and that will keep you strong. So remembering that this is a prayer for believers. This isn't a prayer for people to get saved for the first time, to accept the forgiveness of sin for the first time, but this is something that, that they were already believers. And so, so why was Paul writing this? And I think it's the same uh, for all of us. Uh, there's times where our faith is just stuck up in our minds, and we haven't experienced it like tasting how sweet the honey is. And so in the, the book that I was reading, Timothy Keller, there's a, here's a quote that I just, I just couldn't pass up. It says, this may be where you are. You are in him. You are adopted into the Father's family. You have the very divine life in you, the Holy Spirit. You are loved and accepted in Christ. You know about all these things, and yet at another level, you don't know them. You don't grasp them. You are still dogged by your bad habits, often anxious or bored or discouraged or angry. You may have many specific problems and issues that need to be faced and dealt with through various specific means. Yet the root problem of them all is that you are rich in Christ, but nevertheless living poor. You are rich in Christ, but nevertheless living poor. Because when we go through those first few chapters of Ephesians and we understand who we are now in Christ, many times we don't tap into that. It's just head knowledge. We're just like, yeah, I, I'm part of God's family. I mean, I've, I've taught thousands and thousands of kids over my lifetime, and I do the same thing. Well, you want to be accepted into God's family, adopted into his family, and, 
and the kids raise their hand, they say the prayer, and, and yes, they're getting saved, but when it just stays into our, in our mind that of that's the truth that I say that I believe, but when you experience it, then it changes your life. Because we can live poor as believers through our entire life and never experience what God really... Ephesians says we have every spiritual blessing available to us. I mean, we can't even comprehend what that means. So the Holy Spirit is available to us through his power. We can have the strength to live out our walk with Christ. And I think it's the key. We need to invite the Holy Spirit into our lives to reveal who we are in Christ. As we allow Christ to make his home in our hearts, we will develop roots that, go, that will then go down deep. Where we live in Mozambique, we have lots of palm trees. I love palm trees. For we have a lot of snow here in New England now. <laughs> and every week that passes, I'm like, when are my visas going to come through? Because I want to go back to my palm trees. Um, I think at, at our house in, in Mozambique, we have maybe eight species of palm trees. I find them all over the place, and I just, I like find the seeds. It's just so, something that I love to do, and we'll like just plant them everywhere. We have Christmas tree palms. We have, I don't know, fan palms and all sorts of stuff. I don't know, foxtail palms. We got all sorts of different kinds, and some grow slow. Some shoot up pretty quick, um, and it's amazing to watch those things blow in the wind. There's one palm tree that's a, it's actually a coconut tree. I put it in the ground when it was about six inches tall. Um, and this year, I wasn't there, but this year was the first time it actually gave coconuts. And so the guys watching our property are enjoying all the coconuts, and we're here in the snow. Um, but those palm trees have a root system that are amazing, you know, and, and the palm tree, how it's built, it's just so flexible. It just blows in the winds, but those roots hold it strong in the ground. Um, certain places in Mozambique, you know, they, along the, Mozambique has like 3,000 kilometers of beach. Like, you want to see the ocean, it's a place, that, the Indian Ocean is, is amazing. You can actually go in it without your legs turning red, okay? There's, that's, a, I think that's all I have to say to invite, you know, you'll be like jumping on an airplane. Um, and when you go to some of these places, we call them natural or untouched beaches, right? That just means they're dirty with seaweed, okay? That means nobody grooms them like we have our beaches here. They're groomed, you know, that we take the seaweed away so we can go in the water. There, they're untouched. And so the sand eventually erodes as well. And there is these certain palm trees. I used to go to the, go to the coast and I used to buy fruit from this particular man. Um, and right next to his little stand um, were these giant trees and over time that water would come up high tide and then it would wash some of the sand back in and it would start to reveal the root structure of those big trees right there on the beach and as we allow christ to make his home in our hearts our roots will begin to grow deeper and deeper and deeper into his love that no matter what life storm comes up we will have the strength to endure it but without those roots it's going to be very difficult. And so Paul was praying for the church in Ephesians, in Ephesus, 
to experience Christ making his home in their hearts so that their roots would grow down deep into his love and they would have the strength to keep, to keep going. So I'll jump into the second uh, petition, that they would have power to understand how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. I mean, this verse we've, I mean, talked about many, many times, I'm sure. Uh, it's a very popular one. We, we use it for all sorts of illustrations. Um, but when is it that you stop to think, you know, how wide is God's love? And so uh, there's a verse. Uh, oh, before I go there, I want to give you a quick illustration here. Because when he, when he prays, he's, he wants us to understand how wide, how long, how high, how deep God's love is. But he, he doesn't say, he, his prayer wasn't for just for us to understand it, but that we would have the power to understand it, right? And so... We need someone to reveal that to us. And so the Holy Spirit, once again, is that person that will reveal it. And when I was thinking about this, it's kind of like in, in Mozambique, we, we uh, do soccer camps, sports camps for the kids. We invite them to come play soccer games. And then at the end of the games, we sit down and typically underneath a shade tree and we teach them lessons from God's word. And uh, how we have it set up is we have all these different color t-shirts that the kids will wear. And so our, um, I had to learn how to screen print T-shirts in order to do these camps so that we put the theme, you know, of whatever lessons we're teaching for the week, we would screen print them on the T-shirts. The kids would get a brand new shirt to take home. You know, this is, you know, third world country. The kids hardly have, you, you never see them with something new on. And uh, so the shirt would be like this memory. It wouldn't just make sure that they remembered the lesson, but it'd be like this thing that they would wear proudly, you know, everywhere they go. If it's a nice event, if it's just hanging around the house, they won't wear it. But if they're going out to church, they wear it. If they're going out to, you know, something special with their family, they would wear it. And, uh, but in order to screen print, I had to learn the process of that. Because it's one thing, I have a, my roommate from Bible school is my graphics guy. He does all of our logo designs and all that stuff. So if I'm preparing a theme for these camps, I just call him and say, this is what it is, and he designs me the logo. He emails that file to me, but then I have to go through the process of making that, making the screens to then pass the ink onto the shirts. And that was, that's the hardest part of it all. So I, have the, I had to learn how to do it all. So I have these aluminum screens, right? And so they have all of these, depending on the type of ink you're going to use, it has holes that are different sizes. So if you're using white ink, you have to have a little bit bigger holes because for some reason white ink is thicker. And uh, so all of this study, I had to, you know, figure all this stuff out. I didn't go to Bible school to, you know, I didn't learn how to screen print shirts in Bible school. And so you know, it's all new stuff. So you, so you have to get all these different chemicals. It's kind of like developing film. And so I would coat these screens, and I, you have to have a, a dark room. So, you know, I, I actually made them out of our garage a lot of times, and I would close off all the light, and uh, you can use a, a bug light, and that's, uh, that's okay. It doesn't destroy the, the chemical coat on the thing. And so I would coat the, these screens in what they call emulsion, and it's this pink stuff that has to dry overnight for like eight hours, and as soon as you expose it to the light, it hardens. 
And so how you make a screen to print shirts is I would coat this emulsion onto it, leave it in the dark overnight. The next day I would take the image that I wanted to put onto the shirt. I would print that on a transparency so that it's as dark as you can get it, right? So really black ink. So sometimes I would put like three transparencies all together to make it really dark black ink. And then I would put that onto the screen, put it into the light box, and then the light box would have to turn on for, it's like a, it's like a science. It has to be within like literally a second. If you put it on a second too, too not long enough or a second too long, you can destroy the screen. And so you have to start all over again. And so, uh, and that light would expose all of the emulsion and harden it except for where the transparency, the black ink was. And then I would take it from that box and you have a few seconds because now you're outside, the sun could then harden the emulsion. So you gotta spray it out with a power washer real quick. And then you have the, the holes in the screen where the ink will pass through and make the design onto the shirt. That's a long story to say, right? We are like that screen. The Holy Spirit is like that chemical that is on our life that makes us sensitive so that when God's word goes to us, it imprints onto our hearts and changes the way that we are. And so until that, so for us to experience the love of Christ, we need the Holy Spirit at work in our life. Because he prepares our hearts to receive the word. When we're doing, when we're reading the word at home, when we're in prayer at home, the Holy Spirit is preparing us so that when God speaks, it gets, I mean, those screens last for years and years and years. That stuff gets hard. To wash that out afterwards, you got to use a whole lot of chemicals to get that emulsion back out of that screen to then put a new design on it. And even after you wash out the emulsion, you can still see, they call it a ghost image. You can still see that image in that screen even after you pass all those chemicals over it. It has holes that you can redesign it, but it's forever imprinted. And that's what the Holy Spirit, he wants to do for us. He wants to code us and prepare us so that we can be forever in changed, permanently changed by the word of God. And so uh, when we think about how wide the love of Christ is, you could go to Isaiah 118. It says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Uh, you could go into the different imagery. Scarlet's like red. It's like blood. Well, if you murder somebody, you know, you can, God is still going to forgive you. You know, like you can, we have what we consider big sins and little sins, though all sins are really, honestly, they're all the same. So whether you tell a lie or just not all the truth, it's still not the right thing to do. It's funny when, uh, when we're teaching kids in Mozambique and, I, and we talk about the different types of sins. One sin that they're not convinced of, and maybe you are, I don't know, I grew up that if you cheat on a test in school, that's sin. Not in Mozambique. Not in Mozambique. That's one thing I learned. You could, and I was like, so if you cheat, if you look and you cheat on the test, the kids are like, that's not, that's not a sin. That's not bad. We do that all the time. And uh, yeah, we, we learn a lot of things when we cheat. And so, but, you know, you can look at it, but no matter what we've done, no matter who we are, God's love is wide enough to embrace all of us. And it'll, it's wide enough to cover all of our sins. 
no matter what those are, whether it's as some as you know, we can we can make them into different degrees, but in God's eyes, when we're displeasing Him, it's all the same. But His love is long. When we we can read in John chapter ten, He says. Uh, Jesus says that I know my own, I give them eternal life. Nobody can pluck them out of my hand. If we look, well, when did God's love begin? We can read in Revelation that it was the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. So before the, found, the foundations of the earth, God loved us, and he wants to give us eternal life, so his love is eternal. That's kind of long, right? If we talk about how high his love is, you know, we could read in John 17 that Jesus says once again, Father, and he's speaking about us, I want them to have the glory we have had before the creation of the world. Or 1 John 3, 2, it says, Beloved, we do not know what we will be like, but we know we will be like him, because when we see him, we will, be, we will see him as he is. So God wants to show us his glory, but he also wants to give us his glory. You can't get much higher than that, right? If we talk about how deep God's love is, I mean, you can't really even consider the, the depth of God's love without understanding what Jesus Christ did for you. I mean, he was put on that cross in our place that he cried out, you know, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus went down into the depths because of you and I. That's deep. He didn't just say, God could have written uh, maybe, you know, alongside the Ten Commandments, God could have wrote on like 60 other stones, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. But when Jesus showed that love, that's what speaks. And so his love really is wide, it's deep, it's long, it's high. But we need the Holy Spirit to show us, because for each one of us, it's going to be a little bit different. God created us all unique, right? And how he speaks to us is also unique. And then the third one, uh, that they would experience the love of Christ, that they will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So this third petition, to me, it's kind of like this progression. You know, you're, you're inviting Christ into your heart to make it your home there. You are... Uh, experiencing and, and or you're trying to understand, though the scripture says his love is beyond what we can fully understand. But then this last petition, he says that they would, ex he prays that, that they would experience the love of Christ so that they would be made complete with all fullness of life and power that comes from God, that they would experience his love. Because Paul was writing, he said, I know you can't fully understand it, our minds are just not capable of that. His love is so much wider, so much deeper, so much higher, so much longer, and we just can't understand it. But he says, I want them to experience it. And so now I know I've been in lots of different places and lots of different churches, and I know I'm not going to say we're going to experience something that's not in the Bible, okay? There are... There are things that are, in my eyes, there are extremes. And so I, I say we're going to experience God. We want to experience his love, but it's according to the scripture. 
I'm kind of an intellectual. I, I like to like think things through and process. And for me to experience is harder than for me to kind of just wrap my head around something. And, but Thomas Goodwin, a 17th century Puritan pastor, wrote one day that he saw a, a father and son walking along the street. Suddenly the father swept the son up into his arms and hugged him and kissed him and told the boy he loved him. And then after a minute, he put the boy back down. Then he asked this question, was the little boy more of a son in the father's arm than he was down on the street? Objectively and illegally, there was no difference. But subjectively and experientially, there was all the difference in the world. In the father's arms, the boy was experiencing his sonship. So I believe the Holy Spirit is here, and Paul was asking for the believers in Ephesus that they would experience this love. I can go back to different moments in my life where I was able to experience the love of Christ, to experience that sonship. And uh, usually those come in the dark, the dark times in your life. One of, the, one of those valleys for me was when I was diagnosed with cancer back in 2012. And they, I had stage three cancer. They told me I had to go through this pretty intense chemotherapy treatment. It wasn't long and drawn out. It was only three months long, but I was in chemotherapy Monday through Friday for about four to five hours a day. Had lots of IVs. They eventually couldn't find many veins to uh, put that stuff in me anymore. It got to the point where as soon as I walked into the cancer center, I could smell the treatment and I'd start to get nauseous. It wasn't, wasn't my favorite time. My, my brain has naturally erased, I think, a lot of the bad, some of the really bad, you know, moments. But in that valley, I will never forget, and I probably tell this story too many times, but I was driving to one of my treatments. I can remember the street I was on. I can remember exactly where I was. I was on Route 179 going from our house in Heartland over to, to Avon from, at the cancer center. And back then I had that satellite radio. And you know how satellite radio is, right? You, the, when you first get it, you're like, wow, this is great. And after a while, you're like, boy, they play the same song over and over and over and over. And uh, there was one particular song that I probably heard a hundred times on that station. But that's one particular day, the truth that was being sung in that song sunk deep into my heart. And the tears began to well up in my eyes. It was the song from Mark Schultz says, you are a child of mine. And that song, as I was driving to my treatment, it made that experience I experienced God in that moment. I knew that God had me in his arms. It was like God swept me up like that father swept up his son. He hugged me and kissed me and told me everything was gonna be okay. And to this day, I go back and I have, I have those times in my life where I can go back. If, if I might seem like I'm in a valley now I can remember back and say, but I remember when you did this, and I remember when you did this and this and this for me. And so I, 
I read at one point, we need to face life backwards. I don't know, maybe I told that the last time I was preaching, right? And uh, because when we walk through life, if we can remember the goodness of God from what we've experienced in the past, we can face whatever we have to face tomorrow. Because we know that he was faithful on all these moments, and we know that there's nothing that he's going to just leave us on our own. But we need to have that, make that journey from our head to our hearts so that God becomes more than just a doctrine in our minds. But it becomes real. It becomes an experience that we have a true personal encounter with God. I want to just read this one other quote for me if I can find it here in my notes because I've strayed off of my notes, but... Um, I don't know where it is anymore. That's all right. But it talks about if we can understand that the God of the universe, the creator of everything, loves us as much as he loves us, that he delights in us how the Bible tells us he delights in us, that he's forgiven as much, he's forgiven us the way that he, the Bible tells us. If we can experience and know that and, and have that moment where God cements that into our, into our heart where the Holy Spirit prepares us like that screen and he prepares us and those things become reality to us then no matter what we face we know that he's going to carry us through. There's an old poem I don't even remember the, remember the footprints poem? Every pastor used to talk about that footprints poem when I was growing up and it talks about the two sets of footprints going through the sand, right? And then in your he it was like in that deepest, darkest moment, why did I only see one set of prints? And then, you know, at the end of the poem, it's because God was carrying you through that moment. And uh, this morning, I want to invite you to take that journey from your head to your heart. I'm going to open up the front area. We used to call it back in the day, we used to call it the altar. And, uh, why we called it the altar? It was just what we called it. But when I think about it, you know, in the Old Testament, Israel built a lot of altars. And where they built the altars was typically in a place where God had done something miraculous in their life and they never wanted to forget it. And I can tell you at the altar here at New Life Church, it wasn't in this small area, but it was at this church. God did so many things in my heart that today I am where I am today because of him and because of those moments of prayer. So I'm going to, I asked Leslie to, to play in the background and she's going to pray or play and we're going to pray because we should not live poor when we're really rich. But that takes you to ask. I can't do it for you. There's nothing miraculous that's, that will take place if, if I pray for you, but it's the Holy Spirit is going to do a work in your life if you allow him to. Paul concludes that prayer with a pretty cool verse that says that God will do infinitely more than you even ask or think is possible. So we're not gonna have a formal closing today. If you feel like you need to leave,
and you are free to do that. But today we're going to, I'll, I can put my mask on. If you want to come, when you come to the front, please put your mask on. God can work in our hearts with masks on or masks off, right? You know, so if we, this time, if we need to wear them, we need to wear them. But we're going to spend some time in prayer, and I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to begin to move in your hearts that your faith will sink from your mind into your heart so that no matter what you face, God's going to give you the strength and you're going to experience a new life in Him like never before. Amen. So let's, uh, let's pray. And if you feel like you want to come to the front, you can make an altar at your seat technically. Uh, there's, God is everywhere. But there's something special about stepping out in faith, saying, God, I want you to do something in my life. And as you come forward, God will make himself faithful and he will experience the love of Christ. Amen. So, Father, we just thank you for being with us this morning. We know that you are here. We know that your presence is very real and that you desire to do a work in all of us. We know that your Holy Spirit is available to mold and shape our hearts so that we can experience and really know what your love, how great your love is for us. That just as we can taste honey and how sweet it is, we can taste you, we can taste who you are and how good you really are. So God, I just pray that as we open up this time of prayer, that you will just begin to move, that you'll begin to help us to bring what we believe in our minds into our hearts that we would live and that 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 truths will change who we are and how we live. So God, I just thank you. In your name I ask. Amen.